0: You're listening to Go! with Jamarlin Martin. We have a go-hard or go-home approach as we talk to the leading tech leaders, politicians, and influencers. Let's go. All right, we have uh, Dr. Boyce Watkins on Go! Uh, we're here in downtown Miami. Uh, let's dive right in. Let's go. How's it going? Going good, brother. How are you today? Yeah, pretty good, pretty good. Thanks for uh, coming down to South Florida. Uh, we really appreciate yeah. you here.
1: All the pleasure's uh, all
0: mine. Dr. Boyce and I, we went fishing yesterday. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about that experience <laughs> or we tried to go fishing yesterday?
1: Man, you know what? It, it was great. It was great going fishing with you, you know, because I've known you for years and, and respected you from afar for a long time. Um, and so I felt like that that trip, uh, even though I hadn't fished for a long time, it, it was a trip I look forward to because... You know, when you got all that time, you're just talking and kind of getting to know each other and getting to know each other's point of view, man. And so that that was the great part about it. The downside was that um, I learned uh, on that trip that motion sickness is real. It ain't it ain't a figment of your imagination. And and man, you know, I went live on Facebook while we were out in the water and the water got rough and I was holding on to that pole. And of course, you know what happened after that. Right. Next yeah. thing you know, everything I ate for breakfast is going off the side of that ship. And um It's funny. Later on when I got back, one of the brothers on my Facebook page hit me up and he said, Doc, I warned you. I warned you. Go look at the text. I warned you. I looked back and he had warned me. He said, stop holding on to that pole because you're focused on one spot and that's going to make you get seasick. And he was right.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But those waves were uh, pretty uh, severe. Talk about the first time we met, because you refreshed my memory. We met at Columbia University. You were on a panel, was that like maybe six, seven years ago?
1: Yeah, yeah. It was a, a, panel, for, a panel for Madame Noir, if I recall. And it had to do with relationships uh, with the black community. And I, I don't remember what year it was. Was it 2012?
0: Sounds about right.
1: Yeah, yeah. That, that was an excellent panel. and. Um I had a great time and and uh you know and you know my goddaughter uh she's really my daughter. I mean I walked her down the aisle so that I and she calls me when she needs money. So I guess that makes me the dad. Um she uh actually went to Columbia too. So you know Columbia's. I be, I was down there a lot man and and it was an honor to be a part of that.
0: Do remember uh my question. I I walked up to the panel and everybody was like racism <laughs> in the schools and this and that.
1: I remember it very well. Okay. I remember that you know my my thinking uh, during the panel when you came up and asked the question was I thought it was very interesting that uh, you had a real, you know, real you know powerful, almost like what I call the incognito way of kind of running things. Like like you weren't out front. You're not like a ditty type. You don't come off to me as a ditty type person that's like, look at me, look at me, but but I knew I knew you were the CEO of, of the company, right? And so when you came up and asked the question, I think of people in the audience, they just thought you were just some guy. And uh, even the panelists, I don't even know if the panelists all knew. So I was sitting there, I was like, oh, he's got a question. This will be, you know, what's his... and you asked the question that really showed me that you you have a way of thinking that's a little bit different from, you know, sort of what we're used to in the community. Uh, you, you know, you you stepped into that very dangerous space of critical analysis and saying, okay, you no, know, let's look at what we're doing. Let's let's look at our shit. You know, let, what are we doing as a community that we could be doing better um, and, and, and that was a, a complete flip on the tone of the discussion to that point because from
0: the Taliban that was on the panel, right? The discussion
1: yeah. to that point was, this is what white people are doing. White people are doing this. They're doing that. They're doing it. Yeah. We, we know all of that. You know, white people ain't never going to stop being white, but then it's like, okay, what about our own empowerment? What about our own freedom to make choices? What about our own freedom to, uh, shape our own narrative or to at least fight back? And, uh, and people didn't like that. They, they don't like it because I think it reeked of accountability.
0: My memory Uh, of that is you have the panelists talking about what the schools are doing to our kids, the teachers, the institutions. In my family, I have teachers. uh, I grew up around black teachers. I have friends who became teachers from high school. Uh, One guy, he was teaching in Gardena, uh, California, and he used to talk about how the kids used to come to Gardena High School and start shooting. They would be, you know, punching teachers, you know. It it was just uh, a war zone, right? And so in my thought, just based on uh, my own experience uh, and observation, is that our kids, black kids, are going to the schools, with so much dysfunction, so much behavioral issues, I believe are, is related to white supremacy. But the bottom line is there's something going on in the homes. There's something going on in the hood. There's something going on in the community where when they bring that stuff, that baggage to the school, that teacher is not equipped to be therapists, to be psychologists, to be all these different things that a lot of these kids need. It's not to say that. You know, there's not racism in the schools, or these schools are not harming our kids. But I think there's two sides to that story in terms of what type of bad shit are these kids bringing into the school that's related to their parents, their family, their community, to the hood, and some of the cultural norms that have been accepted in the community.
1: Yeah, you know, it's 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 one of those tough never-ending debacles, you know, you're going down a rabbit hole, you know, where the the exit becomes the entrance, and the entrance becomes the exit, and the exit becomes the end, you know, what I mean by that is, you know, no matter what dysfunctional bullshit somebody does in their life, there's always a source of that, it always came from somewhere, they were taught that, they were exposed to some trauma, Uh, they came from something environmental that shaped who they are, and there's always the ability to pass that buck back and to say, you know, um, uh, so-and-so molest children and uh, everybody's like, well, lock him up. That's that's unacceptable. But then they say, but no, no, no. But the reason he molests children is because he was molested as a child. And if you'd grown up in that environment, you might be molesting children too, right? So then somebody could say, oh, okay, so let's not hold him accountable for that. Um, let's, let's blame it on what happened in his environment. It's really his, his dad who did it, right? But then someone says, no, 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 but the dad, don't hold the dad accountable because remember, because the, the dad was molested when he was a kid, right? Yeah. And you can just keep going. We don't do that when it comes to, you know, crime uh, where people are being hurt. We make a decision. We say, okay, the buck must stop somewhere. The buck stops with you. You know, we know your daddy molested you. We know you went through some stuff, but we're not going to let you do that you know, and it's, it's a, it's a, it's a rough thing to do. You know, a lot a, a social worker or someone who's overly sensitive may not agree with that. They may say, no, 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 but you can't really blame him totally. Cause it's not his fault. Look at the environment, et cetera, et cetera. But no, but people are like, yeah, we understand all that, but he's hurting children and he's perpetuating a cycle that is not healthy for the community. The same thing could be said about the kid that comes to school, um, who, you know, is getting into shit, you know, wants to, wants to bring a gun, wants to pick fights.
0: I was one of those kids. Really? Uh, so so, you, so you, I have a personal experience. You brought terms. a gun? To no, 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 not, oh. <laughs> not, not, I didn't bring a gun, but I used to go to school, get in fights. Like, you know, I, I was not a role model student in elementary, junior high school. And so in thinking about the issues with our kids, objectively, I was bringing stuff to the school. Mm.
1: Well, you know, I, I, I was a troublemaker, too. You know, I, I, I got in a lot of trouble at school. I mean, I was always in detention. I never made good grades. I was, you know, if, if I went to school now, the way with, with this zero tolerance shit that they have, if I were in school right now, I would not have ever gone to college because I would have ended up in jail. There's no question about it. I, I just think of, of among many incidents, I remember just one time being so angry at this white boy in my class. I remember picking up the desk and slamming it on his head and beating the hell out of him. And I'm not a violent person, but he had pushed me to a breaking point and I just lost it. I was 15, I just lost it. And you you do that now, they got you in handcuffs, you're going to, you know, whatever Whatever they got prison on training wheels now for the kids, they want to make sure they lock black kids up as early as possible. Uh, I, would, I wouldn't have been yeah. who I am now because I never would have had a chance to
0: evolve. What's interesting about uh, you and something that I can relate to is that, you know, when you talk about holding our own community, holding ourselves accountable, starting as an individual, typically that's associated with the Uncle Tom. That's associated with someone who's not pro-black. You know, you're blaming the victims. Uh, You know, you're letting white folks off the hook, but I believe your brand uh, uh, and philosophy, uh, it doesn't cut in those kind of conventional boxes where you're talking about holding our own people, accountable, holding ourselves accountable, and you're pro-black simultaneously. Like, it's not like it's a Republican thing. The most pro-black thing you can do is take responsibility and hold ourselves accountable, and you can still bang back at the white man, and still bang back at America, and still bang back at the Republican Party, and still bang back at the Democrats. hmm yeah, the,
1: the, the key idea, and this is not something I invented or any of us invented. It's been around a long time. You know, I think Farrakhan has that. You know, that's one of the reasons why people love him, but they'll hear his criticism. Um, you know, Chris Rock has that actually as a comedian. Uh, you have uh, you, you go back to the Marcus Garvey's of the world, et cetera. And, my, and, and, and what that is, is that, you know, accountability has to be a 360 thing. You got to you got to be willing to hold everybody accountable. You can't use sort of um, unilateral accountability in order to allow everyone else to escape any culpability, any any responsibility for what's happened. So, if you're holding black people accountable uh, and you let some Republican hoist you up and say, well, look, we've got this Negro on Fox News. He's going to say, explain why black people should be held accountable for their choices. Well, then then basically what you've done is you've taken what is a, um, a complex uh, kind of um, intersexual kind of process, you know, where there's a lot of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, oh gosh, uh, it, it, you're taking a process that is complicated and you're making it overly simple, right? You're taking something that should be multidimensional and you're making it one dimensional, right? You're, you're, you're reducing something that can be powerful and impactful and beautiful and making it into a cartoon, you know, uh, because ultimately you know, if I'm talking about black accountability, I got to talk about white accountability. But then when I talk about white accountability, I circle back around to black accountability back and forth. Right. You, it's, a, it's a recursive recursiveness. That's the word where where A affects B, which affects A, which affects B. Right. So ultimately, the it's very, very simple. You know, you can still talk about oppression. You can still talk about what white folks have done. You can still talk about everything that's happened in this country and still talk about what black
0: people can and should be doing to improve our condition. And let's take it back. So uh, doing for self, personal responsibility, accountability, those were part of uh, the key ingredients of black nationalism, right? So you have Marcus uh, Garvey, uh, he's building a nation within a nation. Uh, He's all about doing for self, Africans for Africans. So kind of doing for self is a black thing. Uh, After Marcus Garvey, uh, you have uh, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. He's talking about doing for self. You start to see uh, the black barbershops, the black bookstores, the black restaurants, the black mosque. Uh, Elijah Muhammad, then Malcolm X, uh, they are building institutions doing for self. They're not asking, they're not begging. They're just going out and doing the damn thing. And they're doing the damn thing at the same time saying that we need some type of cultural behavioral optimization. It's not just going to be we're going to sit here banging on the white man. We're going to go into the streets. We're going to go into the community and we need to optimize our culture. We need to optimize our behavior. So you have self-determination doing for self personal accountability. That's on the hardest black side uh, from Marcus Garvey to Malcolm X. What happens in the 70s and 80s where that like like you ripped that out of the kind of more black nationalist position. And now it just seems like everyone is drunk on. We're just going to bang on the white man. We're just going to bang on Donald Trump. We're just going to bang on the Republican Party. Uh, That's that's really black nationalism is banging against white folks only.
1: You you know what happened? Uh, What happened to us? Was uh, the the tragedy of immig- of integration? Um, not because integration itself is a bad thing, um, but it was a tragedy because of the way it was executed. It was a, it was tragic because it wasn't an adequate partnership. Um, it became um, an ugly kind of codependence that left us much weaker than we were before. Um, you know, I don't think anybody would disagree. You know, with the idea that black people should be able to shop wherever we want, live in any neighborhood, be around whoever we want to be. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem was that integration. Was poor in its execution because of the, the the motivations of both sides. You know, white folks didn't integrate us because they really wanted us to be equal and to really be full partners in this society. They integrated us because they needed servants. They needed. They wanted our consumer dollars. They wanted Negroes to come work for them. They wanted to get access to the best athletes in the world in the Negro Leagues. They wanted to get access to all the things that we had going on business wise. You know, and, and if you look back at the data, we had far more businesses back then than we have now. You know, there were tons of black insurance companies and banks and everything. Else, they all died in integration, right? So, so their incentives were, were not um, were not pure for, for you know for why they wanted to do integration. Now, on our on our behalf, our problem was that we weren't ready to enter into uh, an appropriate negotiation, you know, for that integration. You know, any partnership, like a business partnership. If we make a business deal, um, if I show up to the table and I'm like, sir, I'm just so happy to be here, and I'm so happy that you're just. Giving me an opportunity. I'll take anything that you offer me. Just please just let me in. Cause it'll, it'll, it'll make me a better person and I'll feel better about who I am as a person. Because I have no self-esteem. I have nothing. Everything I got ain't shit. If I'm not attached to you, then I'm nothing. Right? That was the mindset of the Negro when integration took place. Our mindset was. You know, I need to be next to the white man because the white man gives me my humanity. He is the one who his ice is colder. His neighborhoods are better. I, I want to be in the major leagues because why in the hell would I ever want to be in the Negro leagues? Right. And, and, and so ultimately, it, you know, that oppression, oppression is, is, a, is a partnership, you know. So, the, you know, so we're saying, look, we know we're inferior. We want to be connected to you so we can feel better about ourselves. And they're saying, yeah, we know you're inferior, too. So we'll let you in.
0: If you're interested in advertising on the Go podcast, you can go to moguldom.com forward slash G-H-O-G-H. Once you're there, uh, you can click on the advertise button in the top right. Let's go. It sounds like you're saying that when you look at the strong self-determination values with black nationalists, with some of our black leaders, uh, that when the gates were open with integration, that ideology becomes corrupted. And dilute it. There's nothing to revert back to in terms of self-determination. I just feel like there's so much weight on external things, mm-hmm. and it is taboo at this point to focus on stuff that we can do in-house. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I agree with you. I agree with
1: you. And, and and you know, when you think about integration and why it was just a failed strategy, or it, it didn't, the execution failed, is that any negotiation requires you to at least have the ability to walk away right to walk away from the table you know you got to have something to go to you know so that if the deal that you're offered is not good enough you can say thank you but i'm going to be over here if, in case you change your mind right that's why we lose in politics because we have nowhere to go when we leave the democratic party so we take whatever shit the democrats want to give us right yeah. so so with integration yeah. if you imagine integration done more appropriately it will be a situation like this. It will be one where we say, you know what? Um, we want to partner with you because you got something we want and you got some, we got something you want. And uh, we know that partnership is going to benefit everybody. Trade benefits every nation, right? Um, but what we got is valuable and we know this. We know that the Negro Leagues has the best players in the world. And, and, and being in the major leagues, it, it really isn't a big deal. We're actually going to an inferior ba- organization, right? We know the value of our businesses and banks. They may not have as much money as yours, but they belong to us. And, and in about a generation, they're gonna be worth billions of dollars. So, so you, look, if we're gonna trade, if we're gonna work together, there have to be conditions and terms under which these partnerships take place. And I think that would have been a more appropriate integration, so integration was a good thing, it just wasn't done properly. Now to your point about what we can handle in-house and what we can do um, internally, um, I think that was definitely lost. You know, Anytime that you become overly dependent upon a pre-existing system that's run by other people, you lose your ability to do things on your own. It's like if I grow up in a house where uh, somebody's cooking for me every time and every time I show up at the table, there's just a meal there. Um, I don't, you know, and, and let's say I don't even have a choice in what meals being served. I just eat whatever's on the table. Well, I'm never really, I, there's a good chance I'm not going to ever learn how to cook. Yeah. I'm never going to learn how to grow food. You know, so a lot of times, you know, or, or like you think about kids in school, when they started using calculators in the second grade, what did the kids do? They, they lost their ability to do math by hand, yeah. right? So the yeah. same thing is true here. We're dependent upon this system, which loses our ability to develop systems of our own.
0: That, uh, leads right into, uh, Kanye West. He's uh, back in the news uh, in a big way, saying some controversial things, in in my view, some coonish things in terms of how he's expressing it. I think he may have very solid viewpoints on a slave mentality, but I I think he's just having trouble maybe articulating that. I don't think he's uh, expressing his ideas that well. Some of the stuff he's saying, I I, I believe I kind of know where he's going and I agree, but the way he expresses it is a total fumble in terms of certain elements of, of of what he's saying.
1: Yeah, yeah, Kanye is um you know, it's not a surprise that he's buddies with Donald Trump because they're both um, they're both they, they could probably both be defined as narcissists. You know, I'm not a psychologist, but when I looked up the definition of narcissist, I know it applies to Trump. And
0: I are, believe it. are they both could be defined as white supremacists based on Kanye's pattern of behavior. Not just like one thing like hey, a guy has blonde hair. Hey, some people may want blonde hair. Hey, somebody wants blue eyes. Maybe they just want blue eyes. Uh, uh, someone who just always praises white folks. Maybe they just always want to praise white folks. Uh, someone who wants to bang for MAGA and kind of dismiss slavery and racism—the uh, pattern that I see with Kanye West, uh, some black folks do believe in white supremacy uh, at different degrees. You're right. I know a lot of black people who are white supremacists.
1: Some of the black people, some of the black people watching me on Facebook right now are white supremacists. They just don't know it. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think white supremacy really is. You know, it, at least one way it can be defined is this idea that. Just white is right, white is better. Right? A lot of a lot of black people
0: I know would you agree? It sounds like you're a soft Kanye West fan, but I, I wouldn't say <laughs> I wouldn't say a Kanye West fan, I've never bought any of that You just that like much. that he kind of critiques the establishment. No, no kind of no. shakes things well,
1: up. Well, you know what what I'll say is uh it, it, you know, to that point about white supremacy, I mean, think about this. Think about how many black people you know who went to a white university because they feel the HBCUs are not as good, right? There are a lot of black people that, that we, you and I know who will spend money in a white business, ask no questions, but will avoid black businesses at any cost. You know, there are a lot of bl- black people that I we, think, we.
0: Yeah, th- I, I would take issue with that choice where at least uh, I graduated from an HBCU. I think what I heard some people say is when they're looking at their life outcomes, They have projected this in their head that when I go for a job, when I go for a loan, when I go for investment, uh, I would prefer, I would make a rational choice that I would prefer that degree saying Stanford, that degree saying Harvard based on uh, the probability of financial outcomes with one degree versus the other. And I'm reacting to white supremacy uh, because I know that my Spelman degree, uh, my Morehouse degree, my Hampton degree is going to be devalued. So, as a rational actor within white supremacy, I'm going to make a rational choice where, hey, if I want to be a millionaire, it may be easier and it may be a better investment for me to go get a Stanford degree.
1: Now, I, I agree with that. I agree. I, I mean, you think about it. What what would that really mean? Like, white supremacy can be defined as both an idea. And an observation, right? The idea is I believe white people are just inherently better at doing certain things. So I want to be down with them because they got the money, they got the power, they got the access, they got all the things that I feel like I need to survive. Um, And and, an observation could be driven by the fact that where it could be driven by me saying, well, look, look at who's got the biggest businesses. White people do. Who's controlling this society? White people are. Who's got the, the nicest stores in the nicest neighborhoods? White people do. Who are the people building rocket ships to Mars? Mostly white people, right? So, you know, I could easily say, well, the reason I believe that white people are superior is because what they've accomplished is, are, are, are a bunch of things that I don't know any black people that can do that, right? So I think that, you know, the ability to kind of challenge that white supremacy it, it, it's a complex thought. It's like if you are, um, let's say you are LeBron James and the Cavaliers have played against the Golden State Warriors five times in a row and the Warriors have kicked their ass, right? And, 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 and LeBron just says, you know, I think they might be a better basketball team. Well, he's kind of admitting to warrior supremacy. Like, I just believe that they're just better because they, look, they keep kicking our ass, right? Now, challenging warrior supremacy kind of means he has to have a little bit of a, Uh, of of an idealistic ability to disconnect from reality for a moment and kind of say, yeah, they are superior now, but if we get a franchise player on this team or we change our strategy, they don't always have to be superior, right? So most people who confront white supremacy are people that really have to be a little bit... I I include myself in this category. They have to be delusional enough to... and, and, And really maybe even bold enough to say, yeah... There is, you know, there is some domination happening. But if we change our strategy, then we can get there. If and, and we lot, change
0: our strategy, right? And a lot of black not po- the Democratic Party, not right. the Republican Party. If we change our strategy,
1: there you go. Fuck the Democrats, right? We yeah. You know, right? So, 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 my argument is: Look, if you don't have the ability as Black people to be critical of your strategy and, and how, and of your culture then you will never be able to confront white supremacy. That's like LeBron saying, we're going to eventually beat the Golden State Warriors, but we're gonna keep playing exactly the same way we've been playing every time they kicked our ass.
0: Wait, Kanye West, you know, when you listen to him, are you at the point where you say, hey, you know, I'm not gonna criticize this brother. He's still a brother. I'm not gonna criticize him. He's saying some things that most likely, uh, well, they already are being weaponized against oppressed, the poor, our people. He's saying some things that sounds very coonish. Uh, however, but this brother's sick. Uh, they, they, <laughs> they, they, most likely, uh, this is not a rational uh, actor at this point, that, uh, that there's some question on his mental stability. And so that would possibly put him in a space where I'm not going to critique this guy.
1: I think that criticizing Kanye is an easy thing to do, and uh, and I think it's fine. I think it's valid, but I think that you know, I think that we're better off if we, uh, after we finish criticizing him, I think it's interesting also to analyze uh, the idea, right? Not analyze him per se, but we we can also analyze the idea that he's laid on the table. Not everything that he said is totally crazy, right? Um, we know Kanye is a bombastic person. We know that he's an attention seeker. We know that he's getting publicity for his album. We know that he's, he, and he does that by being a contrarian, kind of saying things that are different from everybody else. And, uh, and it's gotten him, you know, in a lot of weird situations, like when he ran up on the stage with Taylor Swift, uh, and, and, and the other things that he's done over the years that have been interesting. Um, and, and remember, you know, politically speaking, I remember Obama called Kanye an idiot, right? Remember that?
0: A jackass. A jackass, that's yeah, what it was. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah,
1: so so I don't think his he has love for Obama. So again being trapped in that Democrat Republican dichotomy that we are all in, you know, maybe that's what's pushing him to the dark side, to the other side, right? I don't know. You know, like, you know, cuz I
0: I I don't know it's kind of tough to Okay, so it sounds like here's a guy He moves from Chicago to Hollywood, Calabasas, whatever, but in terms of that Hollywood set. So I have white folks all around me. He's posted a lot of pictures of all these white guys giggling with him. They love being around Kanye. Look (laughs) at this rich nigga, like, man, (laughs) Kanye's the best. He's so original. He's not like the other black people. He's so brilliant. This guy, Kanye, is the greatest. Yes, but there's mostly white folks all around Kanye. You know, the Kardashian clan, uh, you know, he's posting pictures of, you know, being around uh, a lot of white, you know, Hollywood execs and just a lot of white folks around him. And so ordinarily for a black man, you're going to have some at least a few black people around who can soberly kind of talk to you about some of the things you want to do, some of the things you're saying. Uh, and I feel like that natural black voice is not anywhere around him. So I can see some white folks probably saying, yeah, you know, doing this MAGA stuff and, and coming out like this, like there's no sober reality check in terms of how possibly he would want to position that or talk to him. Probably like, yeah, go ahead. And, and I think the world that he's in, the, the sick world that Kanye's in in Hollywood in terms of these people around him, the enablers, the enablers that were around Michael Jackson, for example, taking his money, looking to exploit, giggling, no matter what type of psychological uh, condition Michael Jackson was in. There was always white folks around getting something, giggling with him, allowing Michael Jackson just to do whatever he wants. If he wants to be a freak, we don't care. We're going to we're going to giggle with you, Negro. Right. So with 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 Kanye, he has all these enablers around, but there's no one sober who can tell him uh, uh, that, hey, you want to be careful. You want to kind of think about some of these things you're saying and how they could be hurtful to the community that supported you. And so I just think that he's in a world he's in a sick Hollywood world where he can go to the press and tell him that uh i didn't want to be fat like rob uh and uh i got liposuction before my wedding uh you know that that sounds that sounds interesting uh, you know that, that's not something <laughs> that you hear brothers say uh, yeah, but know. kanye's different you know but I think in that environment, certain things is just kind of freestyle. It's just you do any, do anything. You need to lose weight, just go get liposuction. as liposuction. A doctor can fix it. They they fixed all all of us. You know, hey Kanye, they can go fix you too. You know, you're right. I think. I mean, what well, you know, let's. If
1: you look at it, you know, on the for real side, I I mean, what black man has hung out with the Kardashians and came out normal, right? You know, like that that what they got going on is just really strange. You know, they and somehow they get all this money from the way they manage you know these these brands and become famous for just being famous and uh, and they tend to i guess they have this thing with black men so they got all these brothers you know rappers and basketball players around and um, and and you, you just think about like what, what went down with Lamar Odom um you know you do wonder like what's happening like what's what's happening in that Kardashian household um you know and i also think Kanye what, what i also see is um, he's he's unfortunately, if he's not careful, he's building himself up to a Bill Cosby, OJ kind of situation. You know, let's say that Kanye ends up getting locked up for something. You know, uh, the black community ain't going to be there for him. You know, they're going to remember all of this. And the white community will abandon him the same way they abandoned Tiger and OJ and Bill Cosby. And so he's, he's going to he'll be- come home. He might come home or he'll, he'll be, maybe, maybe he'll or, or, they'll, or they'll, or they'll string his ass up. Like they did yeah. everybody, you know, all those other guys. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, so I, I think that, that that's what I think about. Like that's, if I were talking to him, I would probably say to Kanye, here's the thing I would say to Kanye. If I were his friend, um, I wouldn't condemn his right to have a point of view and I wouldn't judge him for, uh, for, for voting for Trump or whatever he did. Um, I wouldn't vote for Trump. But I know I know black people who voted for Trump. They just don't tell nobody because they they're scared to be judged and, and attacked. Which is which, which is a problem with the community, right? When everybody is forcing everyone to have one point of view, I don't think you win in that category. But then again, that's my perspective, right? But. Um, I, so I judge people as individuals like if you voted for Trump.
0: Well, tell me why, you know, what makes you feel that he's going to be good. Yeah. To your point of uh, coming home, I remember you didn't really see Michael Jackson speaking out on racial issues or getting political or doing anything uh, for the for the, you know, the majority of his career. Uh, but uh, when white folks started charging him with molestation when he was trying to renegotiate, I believe, a deal with Sony. Uh, he comes to the community. It's time to talk about racism. I'm MJ. Yep. I'm in your hood now. Mm-hmm. You know, so we have a pattern. And I believe the black community is getting uh, much more sophisticated uh, in terms of, you know, your these black leaders or these black entertainers, they will pimp the community they will, you know, take your support, but they're not really going to speak out for the people who don't have a voice. They're not going to risk their money. They're not going to risk their empire. They're going to keep it extra safe until they need you. Yep. yep. And then they'll come home. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, well I, I
1: always say that black people are the political and economic horrors of America, you know, um, like with, or, or side chicks. Right. You know, if you look at yeah. the, the yeah, traditional. I like, I like that. Right. The like, traditional relationship between a yeah. man and the side chick. You know, he expects loyalty from her, but he doesn't give the loyalty back. You know, he expects to be prioritized by her, but side chick
0: politics. Doesn't.
1: Right, right. But he doesn't prioritize her. It's like, yeah. well, I got my wife. And, you know, look at my wonderful wife. Um, In Christmas time, I'm with my wife. Thanksgiving, I'm with my wife. If my wife needs something, you're going to come second. But when I need you, I need you to be there. When I call you at two o'clock in the morning and I want some ass, I need you to be available, right? And so ultimately, for black people, um, that low self esteem fits us right into that that side chick category. You you can't be prioritized if your self esteem doesn't allow you to to believe that you should be a priority. That's so the Democratic Party they see this they see that self esteem issue. Uh, they know that again like just like a woman with low self esteem. Oh, you know a pimp pimps aim for you know girls that have low self esteem or instability or don't have good father figures right because they they're thinking okay this is not. The college educated woman who who thinks highly of herself, this is the woman where I can get her loyalty by telling her she's cute and buying her a bag of Cheetos. You know, because nobody does that for her. And she, you know, so ultimately for black people, the Democrats, they show up with with barbecue chicken and and a couple of empty promises. And we're like, oh, thank you for acknowledging. So bring us. out some
0: entertainers. Right. Hey, right all, bring- all I gotta do is bring out a couple rappers. <laughs>
1: exactly. I, I gotta go buy your churches. Exactly. Exactly. And and think about this. I mean, it's, it's pimping one on one. What does the pimp do? If the pimp knows that you don't have any critical thinking skill and you got low self esteem, he's gonna wow you with a bunch of nonsense. He's gonna get you giggly over, yeah, baby,
0: I'm a you know. But here, here, here's the flaw to a lot of to me a lot of Kanye defenders, uh, where if he starts banging hard for MAGA, which a lot of us interpret as a high degree of white supremacy, higher in intensity of other expressions of white supremacy politically. At least this is the interpretation I believe of the masses in terms of what Donald Trump means when he says, make America great and what Donald Trump believes in. So all because you critique Kanye West for banging for MAGA and what MAGA represents, what Fox News represents, all because you criticize Kanye West, that doesn't mean the community is crip walking for the Democratic Party. Uh, From my perspective, the black masses, because of our culture and loyalty, we highly support it. Barack Obama. We crip walked for Barack Obama. We voted like no other people are going to vote for a candidate monolithically for Barack Obama. We turned out for Barack Obama, our cousins, our aunties, we all went hard for Barack Obama. But at least my experience, I don't see rappers, uh, a lot of people in our community banging for the Democratic Party. We may, you know, back a candidate, we may like a candidate. But I think the consensus within the black community is, no, uh, you know, I'm not going to bang for the Democratic Party like Kanye West is banging for MAGA. So it's a false kind of assumption that because uh, I'm not with Kanye West and he's banging for MAGA, that doesn't mean I'm crip walking for the Democratic Party. I I crip walk for maybe Barack Obama and maybe, you know, some of these other candidates. here, But that doesn't mean we're excited about the Democratic Party.
1: That's true, that's true. Uh, I, I think I, everything you said is 100% correct. Um, I personally think that we gotta just take a moment, we gotta have a freeze moment and ask ourselves, why are we getting our political views from rappers anyway? You know, rappers are not typically the best qualified to do political analysis. I'ma tell you why. Why is that? I'ma
0: tell you why. So, I know I grew up with brothers. I grew up with brothers who did not have strong fathers. Uh, There wasn't a strong father present. There wasn't a strong father in their life. And what I've seen with these brothers in the way they talk about rappers into their 20s, into the 30s, into their 40s, is that these rap, these rappers, these hip hop artists, because there's so much delta in terms of. The, the gap between the black man and the black father. Uh, if I'm not going to church, if I'm not going to the mosque, if I'm not going to any type of cultural center and I don't have a spiritual outlet, my father's not really involved in my life, that rapper comes in for a lot of black men as the prophet, as the father. And just my experience in LA in terms of how Uh, I can't exclude totally myself from this, but a lot of black men, we grow up with these rappers and their messages and their guidance. And this is how you do things. And this is what's cool. That void of the black father, that rapper has stepped in and he's the prophet. He's the father. Uh, And that's how people can listen to Kanye West and treat him like a prophet. And he sees that he's intelligent enough to see that I'm going to call myself Jesus for you niggas, right? <laughs> or Jay-Z, he's going to say, I'm going to call myself Hove, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I believe the gap between the black man and the black father being uh, heavily weighted in their lives, that rapper has, has kind of came in that door.
1: Yeah, and I and I just think I think you know if 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 you look at a rapper like a dad a father figure, um, I hope it's the right rapper, you know. Because have you have you heard black
0: men talk with kind of the reverence you would for like a father or a preacher or a imam or somebody Mm -hmm. who's doing a lot of like? What's your personal experience in terms of how uh, brothers have kind of held rappers on a? pedestal beyond what you would a normal artist yeah it's it's uh
1: I mean brothers definitely do that and, and and the studies actually show that black people actually follow the words and advice of entertainers more than other groups of people you know Niel- Nielsen did a study on that they they pretty much went and told the white corporations if you want to sell your product to black people get get an entertainer to endorse it because black people are more susceptible to the viewpoints of entertainers. They're more influenced by that.
0: If I'm not getting my teaching from complimenting my mother, if I'm getting the teaching from the father, I'm not in the church, I'm not in the mosque, I'm not in any of that stuff,
1: where is where, where, my guidance going to come from? Right, and, and, it's, 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 and it's a scary thing because most of these rappers are controlled by who you-know-who. You know, white supremacist organizations. And I disagree with who, that. Who have, well, a lot of them? A lot of them. Are, <laughs> when I, you say when
0: you say control Jay Z with Rockefeller Rock Nation was he controlled early on? Because they went to go do their own thing. There's nobody in a Klan suit. There's no group that's in Jay Z's head saying write these lyrics. You know, you talking about this and that. There's nobody in the studio with Lil Wayne saying this and that. They may finance because they can they can see a profit but i believe that the the white mind that would invest in an x clan that would invest in a public enemy that in terms of the 80s and 90s they invested in conscious rap because they saw a profit but i don't buy into that you know these white folks are forcing these rappers to do anything they, I want- the, you mean there's a partnership as you discussed early on where we both want to make money let's make a deal Yeah, I wouldn't say
1: that they're forcing them. I would say that they're heavily incentivizing them to make certain choices. Um, Remember, to me, the power goes to whoever greenlights your album, whoever decides to take it off the shelf and put it out. That's where the power is. Right. So they're not going to ever I don't think they're really it doesn't seem like they will really tell you we need you to rap about, you know, bitches and hoes and guns and money and 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 drugs and all that. I think that they do show a preference, right? Like, for example, look at look at these uh, crazy ass rappers they got out now. The ones that mumble look like they dropped out of school in the second grade. Uh, you got guys like, um, and they're they're talented, but they're still, you know, the messages is the messages are a little disturbing, I think, for most normal people. Like Takashi Six who's now considered the king of New York, even though he's openly gang banging and just saying a bunch of stuff. That's with just, rainbow hair, right? The rainbow hair guy with the chiclet color, whatever. Yeah, yeah him, and uh, and then you have this other guy. Uh, Trippy Red that he was beefing with, right? And uh and somebody hit me up they said, "Well, you know that Trippy Red and Takashi 69, they're beefing, but they're both controlled by the same Jewish man. They're both managed. I would say controlled, managed by the same Jewish guy." So, you know, I do think that when you look at ownership in media, okay, now that, that, that's, that, that's now, now that
0: situation I could buy into that 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 this guy is helping them program and position uh and that he is involved. I think like in that type of situation, I buy into that, but in terms of the 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 mainstream, uh, I think that the the music industry is investing uh, net net into artists uh, that they feel can make a profit. That's a low probability. However. If the community's taste was to change, where there's 10 million black people to start buying J. Cole, who I love, right? There's con- He's a more conscious brother, but if we can show that we'll go out and support a J. Cole and buy 10 million albums, right? Then the attitudes of the investors and the executive changes, similar to Black Panther. People go out and they will, will break records with Wakanda and this is a more positive movie than what we're used to. This is a more African centered movie. And so the money will flow into more Wakandas. And so again, I, I just think that there's a division between accountability of the establishment uh, in terms of the folks in power and what's going on with our taste. What's going on with our choices that are that, that, that's driving these perverse economics. Yeah, I, I
1: think that you know when I look at music industry, I'd be curious to see the data on who buys the most albums, right? I'm gonna speculate that most hip hop albums are bought by white folks, like they, they, we they buy more than we do, yeah. more money per customer, that kind of thing. Because you know we might love it and we give the street cred to the rapper, but the rapper then sells the street cred to white folks. They're they're the ones who back who who provide that financial backing, from what I understand, right? Yeah. And and the thing is that when you talk about the taste of music that becomes most popular. I think that when a white kid decides which type of Negro I want to support, he ain't thinking at all about which what's healthiest for the community. He ain't you know that kid that college kid at Cornell ain't really worried about. You know the impact of Takashi Six Nine on black people. That kids in the hood might really get shot because somebody's out gangbanging because they're being influenced by this madness that's being mass promoted. Uh, he's just like, I think the music's hard. I think it's dope. So you present that white kid at Cornell. Hey, you, you can listen to Takashi Six Nine, which is like banging and fun and radical and crazy he's got a machine gun in the video or you can listen to j cole who's going to give you some consciousness and some black power and some unity you know a lot of right a lot of these white kids are gonna be like no i want i want this because you know n- number one in their mind maybe that's more exciting like they like that the same way reason we like gangster movies you know like a lot of people don't want to really see italians on screen unless they're in the mafia right okay i think it,
0: it, I, I think i see where you're going you're saying that uh non-black consumers are driving the numbers, uh, and so the black community is just gonna get the, the artists who are really, really bad. Meaning that if the non-black consumer likes the really, really bad stuff.
1: I think that we are influenced by media, but as a community, we don't yet have the, the, the capital base to influence the type of media that's really getting put out there. Like, like we're affected by um, the, the transaction. The, you know, the rapper is making money from the white folks, and they're passing this money. It's like it's like they're on a bridge and money and this transaction's happening on the bridge and and, and something and there's residue falling from the transaction. There's things falling off of this bridge. We're below being affected by what's falling, the, you know the fallout from the transaction, but we can't impact what's happening at the top. So basically you know, we're we're the ones whose communities get all fucked up because we got rappers running out here talking about murdering little kids and raping women and and giving all their money away and going to prison. But the, for white folks, it's entertainment. It's like it, it's not in any way. You know, a white kid in college is not going to listen to uh, listen to a, a Takashi six nine or or to a Trippy Red or whatever or to a Mumble rapper or a Kodak Black and say I want to be like him. He's like, no, no, that's that's the nigga who entertains me. I'm going to go work on Wall Street. But there are kids in the hood who look at a Kodak Black and say, oh, okay, that's what a black man's supposed to be. And that's why I think black people have to kind of speak out on this t- sort of media. And actually develop media outlets of our own
0: so we can kind of counter that. So Cosby's uh, been in the news. You know, you've had you've been very vocal uh, about the injustice in terms of how that that specific trial took place. Uh, You're not caping for Cosby in general. You're not saying he's innocent of all the charges. But you're looking at the detail of that specific case, which most people are not doing. Uh, and you're saying like, hey, this guy did not get a fair trial for this specific case. Uh, and what's interesting as kind of the more fanatical elements of the Me Too movement of radical feminist movements, as they start to kind of come uh, 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 and, and start, start to kind of touch the black community more and more. Why would you say the, the black community now believes in the justice system. So is is it, I believe in the justice system. I don't believe it when the cops are on trial and they get off. I don't believe it in all these other cases. You know, uh, most of these cases, I see racism in a lot of these cases. But Cosby comes up and at least, you know, in the kind of social sphere, people believe in the justice system all of a sudden. They believe he got a fair deal. What's going on there? I
1: think there are people... Um, There are people, you know, who I think agree with the verdict on Cosby because let's just be real. Well, first,
0: the question is, did they read the details like you? Did did they go um, into the case specifically?
1: I think, you know, I think there's different levels of how deep people go. Um, I I went pretty deep because I was really curious about this. Um, I think that you have to start the conversation off about Cosby by admitting that he probably did something bad to somebody at some point. He probably did. Right. And but then if you really want to be uh, intelligent about how you look, how you break it down, you got to think about what does justice really mean? Right. Um, there's different d- definitions of justice. There's uh, justice according to our legal system, which means innocent until proven guilty. It means uh, guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, etc. But then there's like mob vigilante justice, which was pretty much what, you know, has it's human nature. Um, it's it's been used against us on many occasions. It's a situation where you think, yeah, that motherfucker probably did it, and we're going to go get his ass tonight. We we He don't need no trial. We're going to come get him, and He we're going to have him hung and, and castrated by the morning, right? That's another type of
0: justice, right, in, in the minds of some people. You know, so... Go, oh, please, go ahead. Yeah, do you see a connection between... OJ gets off, and I believe he, he was uh, guilty of murder. Person, I'm not talking about the specific case, just kind of, you know... Looking at the the facts, I believe O.J. is a murderer. Okay, so O.J. gets off. The community, I believe, kind of taints the jury in terms of injection of of race. And there's a lot of politics. This this could have uh, helped Cosby if he was connected to the community, I believe, at, at this stage. But essentially, O.J. gets off. And then he gets caught up in this robbery. It looks like this bogus charge. And then now they got him. Uh, and do you see a similarity between Cosby has been doing all this shit all these years? This case may not be rock solid, but because he's done so much in the past, we're gonna get this nigga here this time.
1: It's very similar, yeah. Because, you know, in both cases, um, you know, they were really found guilty by the American public of harming a white woman. If either one of those men had harmed a black woman, they probably would never have been on trial. Uh, or they certainly wouldn't have had a, had a conviction or anything like that. Um, I think that's one issue. I think also you're looking at two guys who have become Endeared by white America to a level that most black people will never understand. You know, remember O.J. really thought he wasn't black no more because white people loved him that much. Uh, He was doing commercials and movies and shit. You know, he was really in like this whole other world that most black people never get access to. And and I I personally don't want access to that world. But he was in a Kanye West kind of world. You know, where he was completely detached from the realities of being black in America. Well, Bill Cosby, you know, he's the Jello pudding guy. Um, Watching Bill Cosby, he was never funny to me. I was like, there must be so a lot of white people who laugh at this shit. This isn't funny. Stand up is like watching Seinfeld for me. I don't get Seinfeld, but you know Cosby Show, great show. Uh, I think Bill Cosby did hold it down to a point. He held it down in the way uh, uh, the way Henry Ford used to do this. Bill Cosby loved black people in a way that said, um, "I love you if you." agree with me that my way of seeing the world is the right way right so if you if you're black and you want to be middle class and be like dr huxtable and want to go to you know an hbcu and and live a you know uh you know engage in good negro behavior whatever that is for you know for him uh then then he he was good with that you know but if you deviated you know like if you name your son kareem you remember the pound cake speech or if you uh you know if you get locked up on a charge or if you have some form of radical blackness that he can't understand, then he condemned you. And I think that was a problem because that, would, that reeked of arrogance, that reeked of him having an, a complete inability to accept other points of view, and that, did, that caused him to have a lot of enemies in the black community that I don't think he had to have. A lot of Bill Cosby's problems with black people could have been settled if he had learned the value of, of real, honest humility. He didn't have humility. He was very judgmental, and,
0: and that, that caused people like Dyson and others to come after him. Do you believe uh, he systematically sexually abused women?
1: Do I believe it?
0: Um, systematically. Not like he did it one time. Do you believe? See, I, see, see, when I looked at some of this Cosby stuff, uh, a woman uh, said that she voluntarily wanted to have sex with Bill Cosby back in the day. I believe it could have been the 80s. And what she said was he wanted the terms of the sex. She needed to kind of be asleep. So she's not accusing him of anything, this woman. But essentially, her conclusion was he had some type of sexual fetish where he wanted his women unconscious. Uh, And when you look at the pattern Uh, in terms of the quaaludes and and kind of some of the other stuff. Like, you look at the patterns, it looks like he had some type of deviancy where he liked intercourse with unconscious women, which poses a legal problem in terms of nowadays, right? This this is a legal problem. You know what?
1: If if that's the story, I've not seen that story, but that confirmed something I had suspected, but I did not know for sure. I had always thought maybe this guy has a fetish where he likes to have sex with women who are unconscious. And the danger of that, right, is that even if you're doing that legally, even if you're saying, hey, I want to give you a pill, put you to sleep so I can have sex with you while you're sleeping. (laughs) You're you're opening up. Right. You're opening yourself up to a lot of problems because that person could later on go back and say, I never consented to that.
0: Yeah. And so. Uh, I had no feeling when, when, you know, I should have had feeling for Bill Cosby, I believe because he's, Hey, he's done a lot of good in the community. A lot of good, right. When people, uh, make a mistake or they do something crazy, uh, right. Sometimes, uh, we can look at the whole picture, their whole life, and then judge kind of comprehensively. But when this case goes down and I looked at not like, you know, one speech, the pound cake speech, uh, for many of you out there who, um, don't remember the pound cake uh, speech or are not aware of it. Cosby suggested that, you know, the black community, you guys are always crying about cops, you know, killing uh, your people. Uh, And he used an example of a black boy stealing a pound cake. Uh, And he said, why did the boy, uh, you guys are out here marching. Why did the boys steal the pound cake in the first place? And my reaction to that is look at this massive hypocrite that you are going out stealing, possibly a lot of cakes, uh, unconscious cakes. uh, And he's coming out to the hood in my mind. He's going out to the projects. He's going out to the hood, you know, attacking uh, these poor women, uh, the, you know, the, the black community Uh, he's being judgmental. He's Jesus. Uh, He's moralizing against the community. But when you look at his history, including confessions he has made that they use to convict him this time in terms of what type of system uh, was he setting up and meaning that it's documented that Cosby would look for broken women. This is a very sick guy. Uh, you know, he's looking for vulnerable, broken women, women who need money, m- women who need an opportunity in Hollywood. He's exploiting the vulnerability in women systematically. I believe based on the information and this guy's out here, moralizing and banging against our people who are poor, uh, living in poverty. Why are you stealing food? You shouldn't be stealing food. Uh, why are you crying about getting shot by the police? Don't, sh- don't steal food in the first place. So when I look at this stuff, and this guy obviously is a multimillionaire and he's banging against uh, you know, a, 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 a lot of our people, there's no emotional connection, I believe for a lot of other black people, when he's convicted, when the white man finally gets you, nigga, there's nothing in the black. There's no connectivity, maybe more so for the younger uh, generation. But the connectivity, I don't think, was really there for Cosby in a way that he needed
1: it. Well, it's, you know, uh, you know, live by the sword, die by the sword. So, you know, live by the white man, die by the white man. You know, yeah. It's like, OK, that, that's the route you're going, you know, and that works for you. Um, then that's the life you accept. You know, we we tend to uh, be uh, supported and protected by. Those with whom we form relationships and connections. So if uh, if if uh, if I'm married to one woman and I say, hey, I'm gonna divorce you so I can go marry this woman over here, uh, then that means pretty much that any problems that I have in this new relationship are my problems to solve within the context of that relationship. I can't go to my old wife and say, hey, honey, I got myself into some shit with this new girl. I need you to come have my back. She's gonna be like, no, you you dumped me. You you had no interest in me. So Cosby, unfortunately. I wouldn't say he dumped the black community, but I think he definitely dissed the black community. I think that there's a huge sector of black people that he offended unnecessarily. Um, I think there are a lot of people though who you know shower him legitimate and deserved praise for what he did with Fat Albert. You know the educational, uh, you know the educational agenda of that show was remarkable. Nothing like that today. Um, you know what he did with the Cosby Show. There's nothing like that today. Yeah. What different world. Nothing like that today. Right. Twenty million dollars to Spelman. Ain't no celebrities doing that today. So I think that he deserves credit for that. But remember, who's that going to appeal to? That's going to appeal to the the educated class of black people, middle class and up. You're going to get that and appreciate that. I think those who are connected to what's happening you know, in the streets and in the community and in the hoods around America, they don't they, they can't point to a lot of things that Cosby did. Uh, that really supported that group of people.
0: You mentioned uh, Spellman. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, Bill Cosby he gave twenty million dollars to Spellman College in 1988. Uh, they uh, defunded a professorship uh, in Cosby's name uh, in 2015. If you were the president of Spellman uh, and you started to see these legal cases and you started to read the cases and the testimony of Cosby. Do you would you have defunded the Cosby professorship as Spellman? I guess the question is, what does defunded means? Does that mean uh, they, they just took his
1: name off? Or yeah, he kind of take tick,
0: the name off. Like we're not we're back. not representing Cosby uh, with this program.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a tough one because, you know, and I know this is unrealistic,
0: but uh, just to clarify, it's a sure. professorship endowed by Bill Cosby.
1: Okay. So if that if defunding means that I'm giving the, the money back, like if Cosby created- I mean, We're not going to
0: name it this. We're not going to have this particular well, well, professorship. They're like, well, the Bill Cosby professor, or Cosby professor.
1: Well, if you're going to take away, if you're going to take off Bill Cosby's name, you need to take off Bill Cosby's money. So if you're funding that professorship with money that Cosby put up in the endowment- We already then, spent it. Well, you know, that's the thing. If it's I mean, if they if say we already spent the money. Well, that's the thing. If it's an endowment, then that would mean it's supposed to be like a pile of capital that's used where the interest from the capital is used to fund but the But any endowment,
0: a, 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 at least for uh, HBCUs, uh, a bigger proportion of the endowment money goes towards funding ongoing operations than just investing. So I imagine that a lot of that money has been spent.
1: Hey, yeah, in terms talk, of
0: those specific
1: right now if they spent the uh, if they spent the initial capital then that's one thing right but if they did what you know most universities are supposed to do which is to preserve the capital and you live off of the the returns from the investments right for the most part then there should be something left. There's still a core there that funds that professorship, right? It's almost like if Cosby gave them a house and they say, we're renting this house and we're living off the rental income. Well, if you take Cosby's name off the house, you get back the damn house. You can't, that, that's the weird thing to me that these universities that are taking Cosby's name off of their you know school, um, okay, that's fine. That's your right to do that. But I, I think that it is also the right of people that have any common sense to stand back and say, hey man,
0: you need to get the money back. If I was uh, president Spillman, uh uh I would defund it uh if the the facts showed that he was a systematically abuser of women uh and it doesn't sound like like, hey, if I take money from you, uh that's fine, but all bets are off if you're going around shooting you know people. all bets are off if you do something like really crazy. That could really hurt the institution that you're investing in. If it could really hurt our reputation, I think an institution would be in their right mind to have the ability in the agreement to defund something or disassociate myself that if you want to start, you know, banging against black folks or banging against women, or you want to start doing something that are not consistent with our values, we can take this name off. It's It's conditional. Right.
1: I, I think they should I mean if it's in the agreement And they can do it you know legally then I guess They're going to do what they're going to do and it's fine I just again I think you know um, You know it's, it's if, you're, if you took this man's money And the agreement was you know That we're, we're connected now That means if, if my ship goes down your ship Will go down too um, Then I think it's disingenuous to say We're going to take the name off but we're not going to give the money back uh, it, it, may, it
0: may be their legal right But it's still tacky as hell Thanks everybody for listening to Go. You could check me out at Jamal Martin on Twitter and also come check us out at moguldom.com. that's m o g u l d o m.com. Be sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter. You can get the latest information on crypto, tech, economic empowerment and politics. Let's go.